Welcome to the NBA Coast to Coast podcast brought to you by thelines.com. We are back after a full week break there on the All-Star break. Had a pretty good video there that if you caught that with the All-Star uh, selections that we made. Got the team uh, skills challenge correct. We got Mac McClung in the dunk contest. Obviously, the East was a nice win there as well. So continue to follow along. We've got best bets in this one and our play-up props that we're bringing you each and every weekday this year. Also want you to head to thelines.com and use everything that we have up on the site right now, including that prop finder tool that we use each and every day to make sure that we're bringing you the best odds available from all of these books giving us bets in the NBA. Nate, welcome back, my friend. Let's get right into your first best bet for tonight, or for tomorrow night, rather. Yeah, nice to get into some games where the players will be trying uh, after the All-Star game. But, I mean, yeah, we did manage to hit a few there. I don't know how many you want to take credit for um, with, with the East winning and all. But, um, yeah, I mean, Orlando at Cleveland is a game that you expect some intensity here. I was taken aback to see plus 7.5 for the Magic, so I will grab that there. And full unit, full confidence that the Magic can cover that number. I actually think they're going to cover and not win. So if you want to double down and take Cavs to win by 1 to 10 points, uh, you know, maybe a quarter unit on that or less, like that that could both hit. And then you're kind of middling this and, and just really cashing in on the Cavs, being able to pull this out. But the, the Magic kind of being cover machines when you give them this big of a spread. I mean, 60%. As dogs since last season, they are 22 and five this season when they're on equal rest with the opponent um, and 68% in that situation since last year. And that's important because I mean, they're part of the spread being baked in is like, Oh, they lost by 27 at home to Cleveland last time they faced them. It's like, that was so situational. That was Franz. That was a back-to-back after Franz came back and was on a minutes limit and they're missing so many other guys. And now, with a week off there, I don't, I don't know if this has happened all season that they're supposed to have everybody available like Fultz, W uh, Wendell Carter, you know, Suggs is back from his injury. Gary Harris is available. Lots of guys to throw at Donnie Mitchell. Paolo was playing probably the best ball of his, if his career before the break, distributing, facilitating that offense. Like they were, they covered an eight of their last 10 before the break. And they covered playing their patented slow-paced, low-scoring style, low total for this one as well. Last two times they played Cleveland, it was at about a 90 pace. So it's just hard for me to imagine the Cavs like running away with this one by double digits when you're going to play this slow. I mean, them in their last five, 95 pace, one and three against the spread as home favorites. The only cover against the Kings on the seventh game of their seven-game road trip and a third game in four nights for the Kings. So, I mean, the Cavs, there was some reintegrating getting Garland back up to full speed, getting Mobley in there. We know they've had issues at times. Like they're still winning games for sure, but they have just not been a powerhouse uh, that you're going to expect to walk over a really good team uh, by double digits. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. Let's keep finding these moments where the, the magic are, are being undervalued. I, I, that's the, the story of the game here is what you started with. Like, We've got all these players playing. I was looking at the injury report, you know, not the official injury report yet, but uh, we were look, obviously looking at a couple other sites that have, you know, some pretty updated injuries, uh, including CBS and, and even ESPN. And and all of them are, you know, looking at, at, at this Magic team as like, there's everybody's playing. There's no reason uh, to not play everybody uh, on this squad now. And when you have, uh, you know, your full complement of guards in there for the Magic, like that's their, that's their biggest hole, right? Is like, is who's going to continue to be a playmaker? Who's going to make sure that this offense doesn't get incredibly stagnant and that 
Paolo's getting good shots and good looks and space, et cetera. And now they've got that. And so, yeah, I mean, as good as Cleveland is, there's got to be a bit of regression to the mean as we come down the stretch from being a team that just won, what, 18 to 20, 17 to 19? Like, we can't. It had a pretty easy schedule. It's going to get a lot tougher moving forward. And, and the Magic, like, the only times that we can really find that they just don't look like the same team um, and, and are just not the, the same on, on defense, most importantly, is when they just don't have all their dudes in there. And I think it'll be, even be a little bit more free-flowing. Obviously, Wendell Carter Jr. and offense is a big play for them. So let me go to a game that I really like, the over end. This is definitely... I mean, my favorite play of the day for sure. That's why I'm throwing it to you first here. We got the Clips, and they're taking on the Thunder in OKC. Um, and, and this is the totals at 236.5. I'm going to go over. It's actually been bet down a little bit. Uh, so obviously, some people disagree with me, but I'm happy to take the 236.5 after it went down from 238.5. I think what we saw before the break for both these teams, maybe a little bit of focus going down. Um, I, I don't know that, I, I don't think it's that easy to just come right back and just get back into the same focus that you had before you'd maybe kind of took your foot off the gas a little bit before the uh, the All-Star break, which is what we saw with a lot of teams uh, coming into the All-Star break, sort of limping, including this Thunder team, and to a degree, this Clippers team, who wasn't the exact same in the last two or three before before they, they came into this thing. And the, the it really shows on defense for both these teams. For the Thunder in their last five, uh, fifth worst defensive rating, fifth best offensive rating, um, playing at that same about 101 pace. They've actually slowed it down a smidge. But the uh, at home, they, we know they want to play at about 101 pace. They score a buck 23 and a half or so. They give up about 118. So we're looking at a really high total in their home games here consistently, right? About 230, uh, 236, 237 or so. Um, and then in the, on the road, it's just you know a few points less. The play slightly slower. So whenever I see these OKC numbers at home, I'm like, look, they're just going to go, go, go. And if you look at the Clippers, they are one of these teams that's very good. They're a top, let's call them top six team in the NBA. They're also a good team that is down to play at the same pace as the other team. They rarely seem to be the team that's just like consistently the one that's like, we're going to play at this pace, this style, da, da, da. They, they've got the opportunity, the, the players to play in the half court and the transition. And so it does seem like they're going to be ready to run with this Thunder team who loves to get out in transition at home, especially, um, and loves to keep the pace up. In the last couple, it's gone down, which has brought their home pace on the season down to about 100.7. But prior to that, uh, prior to the last five games or so where they were playing at a slightly slower pace, you know, they're up at about 101 and a half uh, and it really came tumbling down with some slow games there at home but now that everybody's healthy for them and j-dub is back i think that's also a part of this like okay our offense the defense might get a little bit better but the offense is only going to keep at the same pace that it's been at um the clippers in their last five fourth worst defensive rating ninth best offensive rating right and, and we saw their ability to sort of play in that that style that James Harden and even when Russ Westbrook and Terrence Mann are out there keeping the, the, the bench unit playing at a fast pace, you got James Harden keeping the offense at a wildly efficient pace as well. That that ninth best defensive rating is down for them uh, prior to the, the last five. They were up at about third best offensive rating. And prior to that, they were the best offensive rating for like a 10 game span that I still believe is going to really come right back or, you know, around the corner after this um, after this break here. And the last thing is just the recent matchups between these two teams where, you know, they consistently go over, especially at OKC uh, at the end of December there, we saw this season uh, a 134 to 115 total in that game uh, for these two teams. And even when they went back to LAC and played uh, at, at the Clippers, and by the way, that was without uh, Kawhi, who is definitely impactful on their uh, defensive rating, but 
actually more impactful on their offensive rating for, for Kawhi and the, and the splits that this team has when he's on off the court or just not even playing in any of these games. Um, so with him back and then also, like I said, when they played this last one, um, even at the Clippers, which is where the Thunder play a bit slower, score fewer points, that one still went comfortably over this number of 236 and a half. And like I'm, I'm sort of banking on this coming back from the all-star break, the malaise, if you will, being on defense a lot more so than on offense, where it takes guys a bit more to, to ramp back into uh, the, the defensive conditioning rather than being able to shoot right and, and make shots. Yeah, I don't know if there'll be defensive malaise. It's just that you're fresh. You're able to beat people off the dribble. You 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 have your legs, whereas you, you know, you don't think that like on on a back to back tired legs, you're giving up points. It, it, it's more of a situation where the offense is fresh and and they're able to do what they want. And you mentioned these last matchups, and SG had a bad game. I mean, OKC was on a back to back. The game was played at a ninety one and a half pace, and it still got to two forty five. And then the previous one, Kawhi did not play. And it got to 249. So, like, it, yeah, these guys are probably going to come out, score their efficient 30 or whatever, um, and, and probably, yeah, get get you home here over this total. I'm going to go under in a Sacramento Kings home game, which I guess is scary. And it certainly it, it involves the Spurs. But, like, let's restructure the way we think about the Spurs, who have gone under in 10 of 11 games before the All-Star break. And it's, you know – unlocking Wemby, if you will, on offense to a little bit, to a degree after like they just like made perplexing decisions all season up until that point. But it also unlocks him defensively, right? Where he's just, he's becoming the most terrifying shot blocker in the league. And it's it's keeping the Spurs in games, but their offense is still so woeful that they have not been able to score enough to, uh, to you know, get games over. But defensively, they have the eighth best defensive rating in that span, allowing the third fewest three-point attempts, you know, chase guys off, let them run into Wemby, see what happens, allowing yeah. the third fewest free throw attempts, Wemby scaring shots, not fouling people. Uh, they are allowing a ton of pain points, you know, uh, but, you know, the Kings, I, I don't see as a team to be able to capitalize on, on that that much. I mean, and their defense has been so good in their last 11, granted because 10 of them were on the road before the break, but they're allowing the fourth fewest pain points in that span, allowing limiting, limiting three-point attempts, allowing high three-point percentage because they played some some great offenses. Like, they played Denver twice, Suns, and Thunder to close before the break. So I think that three-point percentage is going to regress, certainly when you have a Spurs team shooting 32% from three in their last 11, not getting to the free-throw line, depending on pay points, which are not really going to be available against this this renewed Kings team. And, I, I mean, they're only over, basically, in this span – was a back-to-back -back in Orlando where Wemby was only able to go 23 minutes. Now he's obviously fresh and, uh, you know, invigorated to to play some defense. That's certainly going to help you out here. And, look, if the Kings don't carry you over this total, I wouldn't expect the Spurs to do so. Their offense is still very much a work in progress. So uh, give me the under. Let's get it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't have much on that one. I, I'm in – Wemby camp though like I'm I'm in how do you want to bet on Wemby uh whenever you can you know and and in this one like I I, I do see him doing damage away from the rim a bit more on offense uh on defense um yeah this it's like we have probably already the best shot blocker in the league on our team and we've been playing him alongside a smaller center <laughs> Like, what are we doing here? Why is that con like, so yeah, we're back in somebody. I don't know if it was, they whispered in pops here. I don't know if this was the plan the whole time that they were just going to bring him along slowly, which makes sense. But if ever there was an NBA ready superstar since 
the arrival of LeBron James, who already looked like he was 30 when he started playing the league, it's it's Victor Wembanyama. So I'm I'm with the Wemby Blocka Flocka party that we're coming into here. So let me close it out with my Knickerbockers and talk about the uh, the New York team that lost four in a row here for the Knicks as they they just limped into the uh, All Star break. There could not have come soon enough for this team. Guys like Dante Divincenzo needed to to get some rest. We're still not going to see OG and Anobi. That's starting to scare me as a Knicks fan. We're still not going to see Julius Randle until um, probably March at this point as well. So, like, there's there's some guys coming back. But important, more importantly, Jalen Brunson missed a, a game and was injured in those last five where they were just a really bad team before the break. Dante DiVincenzo as well. Uh, Bogey came back, missed one of the two games that he was eligible for when he played for when he was since he came to this team, right? And really, we've seen uh, some precious Achua coming up because Isaiah Hartenstein has also missed a whole bunch of, of time as well. And that's actually only been good for Precious because I think he's actually like played himself into minutes now, even when Hartenstein is, is healthy, which he should be for this game. Uh, we still don't have that injury report, but like we were saying, like he was probably okay to play in the game before the all-star break. It was just like, why would we play this dude right now? We just want to get into the break, get him like 10 days of rest and we'll go from there. And that was the same case with Dante DiVincenzo as well. So I think the value here on the Knicks at a pick is, is obviously in, in huge part because they, they lost four in a row before they came into the break. Um, and you look at those four that they lost, like we said, like Jalen Brunson was was on half a leg against Houston um, and was barely able to play against Dallas. I, I don't remember if he made it into that game. I know they, they weren't even ever close in it at all. I just want to make sure I'm not wrong here. Yeah, he didn't even he play sat. in that game at yeah, all. He sat for yeah, Dallas. exactly. The Dallas game was the one that he missed all of. So, like, yeah, with, with that in mind, now we come back to Philly. Philly looked all right, you know, heading into the break themselves compared to what they were anyway. Uh, they, they did lose that Miami game, but it was pretty close. Um, and they had that really crazy win over the, uh, the Cavs. But here's their two wins. They, they beat the Cavs, who just clearly like seemed like they were just not playing at all in that game. That was a wild defensive effort from them at home. Total just letdown game, like not even a question for the Cavs. And then they beat the uh, the Wizards by six. Um, and by the way, the Wizards also like the Spurs, like heavy. Don't don't go too heavy handed on these overs for the Wizards nowadays. Uh, they've got some pretty good three point defense. Uh, so pretty good down low defense I, you know whatever i'm just saying like don't just blindly start hitting wizards and spurs overs is, is the play here but for, for for this one too like when we look at the the reasons for the the knicks losing and some of the stats that they started giving up on defense like yeah they've been a very bad defensive team over the course of the last what five games they've got the second worst defensive rating but even over the last 10 right they're at about 118 defensive rating which is not tibbs ball um and i don't know that that's necessarily going to get too much better with OG not playing and Boyan Bogdanovich playing and Alec Burks, who's definitely a capable defender, getting a bit more time in there as well. Um, but also with Dante DiVincenzo out, who was a huge problem for them, giving up threes with him out, has been one of their best three-point defenders, probably their best uh, perimeter defender this season so far since uh, obviously before OG came. And now he's pretty much the best defender everywhere, except for when Mitch Robb is down low. Like for, for the, the Knicks, though, like now they're relying a bit more on transition. They're relying a bit more on, um, you know, going to the rim all the way, not really pulling up. Um, there's there's obviously still a lot of the ISO ball for them still playing at a very high frequency uh, in isolation and still not necessarily assisting on a ton of shots, but they are uh, assisting on three point shots now, which shows that there's a lot more kickouts. Um, they were bottom six in terms of field goals uh, assisted that made field goals that were assisted from three. And now they've, they've shot that up to be about middle of the pack, which means that in this situation, they are going a bit more, you know, Jalen Brunson and spread rather than like Jalen and Julius Randall being on the court needing to be on opposite sides 
sides. The spacing gets wonky sometimes for shooters who are on the opposite side of Jalen Brunson when he's playing because Julius Randle's probably standing over there, to be honest with you. And now he's not, and that's created that space for more corner threes for guys like Josh Hart, which is another place that the, the 76ers have been super vulnerable. Um, really, it's everywhere, like threes and at the rim, right, is where you can really beat up on this Philly team uh, since Joel went down. You can get some offensive boards as well. The Knicks are still a fi- uh, top five offensive rebounding team, or really the second best on the season and over their last 10 and just consistently uh, getting, you know, a top 10 second chance points team. And now with the way that you've got the offensive rebound percentage for the opponent for Philly, just skyrocketing unsurprisingly without Joel Embiid in there, they're a much, 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 much worse rebounding team without Jojo in there. The other thing for the Knicks too, is like they were going down the, the road of just giving up a ton of free throws over the course of the last like 10 games, five to 10 games. Um, but like I said, missing a ton of Isaiah Hartenstein who has, grown into a legit rim protector. Precious, Precious Achua now has come back in uh, and started to increase their rebounding percentage as well. So I think the second chance points are going to be heavy for the Knicks. And really, it's just not going to be a lot that Philly's going to be able to do to stop them outside of like hoping that, you know, they're, they're missing shots, honestly. And I don't think that the Knicks will be missing them against this, this bad defense. Yeah, the Knicks have lost three straight to NBA competition and one to the NBA officials. Let's let's remind you that they, they basically won a game in Houston that was Houston, yeah. ripped away from them with 12, 12 to 36 uh, free throw discrepancy. Yeah. Um, but I think it's the Sixers being overvalued in this more than the, the Knicks. Like, why, they're not getting any points at home against a team that we now, like, recognize as one of the top three in the conference that's going to at least get Hardenstein back. I think we know he's going to play. There's a slim outside chance Julius Randle will be back like within the week, yeah. uh, maybe before the end yeah. of March. But I mean, the point is, yeah, DiVincenzo back. Boyan had to sit one. Jalen Brunson was limping. Like, yeah, they got everybody back here. They're going to bring the intensity. And the Sixers, yeah, their their interior defense is, is very vulnerable without Joel Embiid. And, and that's the bottom right. line when you fa- face a big team like the Knicks. Like, that's going to be a problem. Nate, let's go ahead and get right into your first play prop here. Yeah, it's uh, after the All-Star break here, it's time to start keying in on the young guys, um, whether, you know, you're targeting for the rest of the season or just in the first game. And I mean, let's let's go with Keontae George, 19 and a half points and assists, who, you know, has the keys to the offense now. No pun uh, really intended there, but Chris Dunn is to the bench. Keontae coming off really a breakout game that that should just only earn him more time going forward. But he really had three opportunities to kind of, you know, second second chance to be the starter. It, early in the season, it was kind of a disaster. But when they move the three rotation pieces at the deadline, they, they move Keontae into the starting lineup. It's tipping their hand. Utah, once again, like we're not really interested in a play-in spot. We want to develop some young guys. And so he has a, a, a rough start against Golden State. But since then, I mean, he has been as involved as anybody in these last two games here. 62 and a half passes per game. 70 passes received, both are seventh in the NBA, 10 potential assists, and he's shooting 71% on catch-and-shoot opportunities as the Jazz kind of move it in and out. They've got four guys who can create on the floor with him. And, you know, Charlotte, while they, they close pretty strong, still not a, it's still not a good defense, not a team you're going to trust to stop Utah on the road. They're allowing the fourth-most assists to point guards on the season, second-most if you go just by the last seven here. Um, so I expect Keontae to have a nice game and I expect the same, same theory basically on the other side of the ball is uh Trey man and the Hornets, like give me his props again and, and let's target these young guys. I will do that, Nate. I will give you his props because I love taking Trey Mann once again. Uh, we were both on that last time. I was a bit more on the PR. You were on the PA. 
He got a bajillion points, rebounds, and assists last game. He had both of those bets locked up before halftime of their last game, which was also a win that we called for these Horny Hornets as they, they've they been looking pretty good, man. Uh, it's just Look, Trey, man, for him in this one, let's target the rebounds and assists. But honestly, like as the points, even as the points get a bit higher, I still don't think we've reached that ceiling that we're going to hit with Trey, man, where it's like, all right, well, when are we just going to know that these are now like sort of his props, right? Like 12 and a half points does not, scare me either um I, I know that he was playing against atlanta last game and that is a team that is just got you can get whatever you want as a point guard you can get rebounds you can get points you can get whatever you want against that that awful awful above the break defense for the atlanta hawks and now you bring in you know you bring him in against a team that is pretty much just as bad to be honest with you and and god bless Keontae george he was my dark horse that i got at like 80 to 1 for rookie of the year i was i saw him at summer league and i was like i'm pretty convinced that this dude is an nba point guard for sure and i think that's been the case now we've seen a couple guys like scoot henderson as well and the blazers similar concept to Keontae, where it's like these dudes are now getting the time the rest of the season their coaches have announced that they would like them to see to see them in in these roles and with Keontae out there, he's he might be a very uh, able passing point guard, uh, and he can even run an NBA offense already. Not the best uh, above the break uh, defender at this point. And so Trey Mann is going to be all over the place. One of the best rebounding point guards that we could that we've seen honestly in a while at this point, uh, like Rajon Rondo style when he was on the on the Celtics, just playing a lot of like getting into the paint and mucking it up on defense. Uh, can, dude can sky by the way has some of the craziest bounce in the league for Trey Mann. Some people have said the the best vert in the league to be honest, even for a guy his size. So I, I will go with the eleven and a half rebounds and assists. If you were like, hey, I want to take 23 and a half, 24 and a half points rebounds and assists. I would say Godspeed. I, I totally believe in that as well. Uh, the amount of shots that he's taking, I think, will only continue to go up, right? We saw him take uh, – how many shots did he take? He took like uh, 12, 13 shots last game. He's, he's getting that those field goal attempts up now uh, for this team. I, I don't love how, many, how much he doesn't get to the free throw line for an attacking guard. Um, but let's see how he eases into things because for now, we're taking the rebounds and assists for the simple fact that – 12 rebound chances in three games as a point guard is awesome. And so that, that, that rebound number continues to be a bit low for him. Uh, and obviously Charlotte doesn't really have a center like Nick Richards, not really it. Mark Williams would be, would be a very good center uh, and might take some of those boards away from him if he were playing, but I believe he's still hurt as well. So, um, and then, yeah, without, with, with Grant Williams in there, his been pretty good on defense, not quite the same rebounding that you might want. So that's why the, the roughly 12 chances have been there for Trey Mann, And I think he's good to get about five or six in this game. And then the assists uh, and, and the potential assists and everything for him as well over the course of the last three, um, obviously leading the team in that. He's clearly uh, going to be getting about 11 to 12 potential assists as well. So we're talking about basically getting 50% of his of his potential numbers and if actually filling them up with stats for both the rebounds and the assists for the Jazz how many assists do you want to get? Like this team does not stop you, does not play well, uh, does not move well. There's no like going out and finding the shooters. There's always open threes against this team. And that's and there's always open uh, assists down low as well. We've seen guys able to penetrate um, up top for them a lot. And, and that's a big reason for why they're giving up uh, basically the most assists in the league, right? And over the depending on which stretch you want to look at here um, and for point guards as well. Like honestly, whoever you are, shooting guard, point guard, if you've got the ball in your hands and you're any kind of playmaker, um, and when it, the, the only other thing I would add to the passing, when you look at uh, when the way that Utah defense drives, not good. Uh, a lot of assists coming off of that as well. Uh, you can look at the play type stuff, right? That kind of tracking data 
for the uh, the player um, tr- the player tracking data that I'm talking about here. And if you look at the the, the way that uh, guards are driving against them and getting past their guards, very inefficient for that defense for Utah, which is a huge reason for uh, those those points being available on assists. So yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and take him for the rebounds and assists because it's plus 102, and and I love the juice. I don't think that number will stand either. Uh, and I would also assume that the points kind of rise from 12 and a half because I think he's gonna keep getting that popularity, and we're just gonna keep taking him until uh, really the books catch up and the public catches up. Yeah, I, I think the the peripheral stats is where the books have really mis mislabeled it. Like, yeah, points like he's going to be a 13, 14 point scorer in this role. Like he, he but I mean, he's averaging 14.3 so far with the, in terms of rebounds and assists. And this number isn't close to that. And it's going to regress a little bit. But honestly, like there's room for the rebounds to go up, especially in a fast paced game. There's room for the assists to go up in this particular matchup. And I mean, yeah, yeah we, we're, we're, we're getting over his average here pretty pretty easily in terms of the prop. Um, and yeah, I just, let's go I just to- want to add that I, I would, I was also looking at Charlotte as a pretty nice cover there as well. I know it's Utah at home, but nine and a half points. Uh, like let's give them a little bit more respect than that, to be honest. That's where I'm at. I mean, Charlotte came home for us against the sad Atlanta Hawks, but I'm not going to uh, plant that flag coming out of the break quite yet. If, if they show okay. me something, then, then we'll, we'll keep that in mind, but let's go back to your Knicks, your Knicks. And Precious Achua, who you mentioned off the top, earning earning minutes. I mean, he's he's going to play big time whether Hardenstein's back or not. We do expect to see Hardenstein, but I'll take Precious over 21.5 points rebounds. Uh, you can move that up to 22.5 to get a better number on your odds return. But either way, I mean, he's played 40 minutes in eight straight games. You know, five with Hardenstein, three without him. He did go crazy the last three without Hardenstein, but still averaged 14 and 10. In the ones with Hartenstein, they are tied for the fourth highest contested rebounding rate in that eight game span. Uh, as Precious is is handling eighteen point six rebounding chances to get his eleven boards, and you know scoring plenty too. If you play forty minutes and the attention drawn from the from the Knicks guards is there, like you're going to score and you're going to score against the Philly defense that's that's really struggled down low uh, in their last seven. If we look at you know after they came back from their road trip where they were just like. Oh man, is the season over? Like Embiid can't go, and like they they you know we'll throw out those results and just say since they reset, they're still the fourth worst defensive rating, still giving up the fourth most second chance points, eighth most free throws, and they're about twentieth in rebounding rate. Uh, so I think Precious, you, you can pencil him in for forty two minutes ish until Randall returns, and and I think he'll cruise past this number. The, the minutes is crazy, right? Like, yeah, that, that is a huge part for it as well. I'm just going to close things out in our, our player props by sticking in this game and talking about Dante DiVincenzo. I, I, I just got to go back to it. I, the volume is there. He's at 20 and a half points. The fear with this bet would in going over for Dante would be that Boyan comes in and Alec Burks comes in and they eat into his his usage. But I don't think that's going to be the case for a couple reasons. Uh, one, we've already seen at least one game. Now, Bogey's got to get in, in, integrated a bit more. But I don't think integrating someone like Boyan Bogdanovich is going to mean you go stand exactly where White Dante was standing and take his shots. Like, that's not going to be the case here. Um, Dante DiVincenzo has been taking all of his stuff on catch and shoot. And Boyan was brought in because not only is he an incredible shooter, he's an incredible shooter off the dribble, and he's actually a playmaker. Um, and I think that's going to be why... Dante doesn't see his his usage and his his volume on offense really eaten into too much by a guy like Boyan. Now, Alec Burks might be that guy, but even Burks has been is going to be a little bit more on ball than Dante DiVincenzo. 
who now leads the league in uh, catch and shoot shots. He is the dude who is standing out there waiting for the ball. Um, and he's been shooting from like 30 feet away, man. He's been showing some range as well. Uh, I don't love having to like bet on a guy's points where you're like, all right, I kind of need him to hit shots to, to get this. But when the volume of shots, he's taken 19 shots per game over the course of his last 10. If you dumb that down to the last eight as well, um, you know, it's really, that's what's important here. In the last eight games, we're talking about 22 field goal attempts per game for Dante DiVincenzo, almost 23 uh, from three point land. We're talking about uh, 13 <laughs> shots coming from three as well. 13 three point attempts per game over the last eight games. And that's when we saw everybody go down for the Knicks as well. So the last 10 really doesn't matter for me because two of those games were still with guys eating into his stuff with OG and Anobi out there, Julius Randall out there. And now you look at without Julius over the last eight um, and dude is averaging 20, more than 23 and a half points per game. Uh, and like I said, it's really the volume. He's leading the league in, in the catch and shoot field goal attempts and catch, catch and shoot points per game over the course of the last eight. Um, that's what I was talking about as well with the way that this Knicks offense is now running pretty good spacing these days without, I'm not saying you can't win with Brunson and, and Julius Randall. I really don't want to have that conversation. I'm just saying if you're not Julius Randall and you're a Knickerbocker, who's now playing alongside uh, J- Jalen Brunson, you're getting open a lot. And if you wanted to start looking at some Jalen Brunson assists and points and assists, I'm with it. It's just that he's also looking to shoot a lot. So it's like these two dudes between Brunson and, and Dante over the last eight games are basically at like a 42, 43% uh, usage rate. They're taking all the shots, man. That's that's it. There's really nobody else out there. Those shots have just gone transferred right from Julius Randle into Dante DiVincenzo. Uh, and so I'm just going to keep following that number. The the 76ers are interesting. They've been a pretty good defense against catch and shoot. Now, a lot of teams have been doing a lot of catch and shoot against them because once you get into the lane, you really don't want to have to try to face Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid's not here anymore. Um, and so that, that does make sense that, like, Maybe there's not quite the same level of like, okay, we'll get into the lane and we can't go up for the Knicks. But Dante DiVincenzo is either shooting threes or attacking the rim. So in that case, right, he is your your, your stereotypical, I don't have a mid-range game. I have a get it and go game, or I can make this open shot. And, and that's what we're going to continue to see from him. The above the break three-point stuff for the 76ers, also bad, continuing to give up a ton of points from above the break this season. Uh, and, and over the course of the last 10, they're in the, uh, they have the ninth um, most uh, threes taken against them above the break difficult to say for some reason uh, and also a bottom 10 field goal percentage in that time frame as well so it's like they're getting giving up a lot of shots from where Dante DiVincenzo is standing and they're also giving up a lot of makes from those shots as well so I like that then we talk about the lack of rim protection for them and DiVincenzo's uh, 85% the combination of, of shots for him 85% of his shots are either coming from three or inside of the paint and so that's the two places that Philly continues to be most vulnerable. Um, I, I do think it's weird that Philly has actually limited the field goal percentage of guys on, on catch and shoot stuff, but that's luck more than anything. That's like a lot of regression to the mean coming back for them uh, where I think guys are going to continue to have those shots. So now they'll, they'll you know, they, they will start making them a bit more, but 20.5 points over for Dante DiVincenzo. I, I got to keep going with it as, until he shows me that like, he's just on a complete cold streak uh, or we see that like Boyan has really eaten into his usage, which I'm not projecting. Yeah, it's actually 19 and a half most spots. Um, okay. uh, yeah, you, so yeah, you can get that oh, for dropped. sure. Nice. Minus 109 at Caesars on the over. And I was going to suggest, yeah, because you're talking about, I mean, his three-point shooting has been the most notable thing for sure. I think, I, I don't know how much of that's out of necessity. Like he's not going to take 15 threes anymore as we come out of the break. That's where that's where Boyan's going to eat into it. But Dante is such a versatile player <clears throat> that I'm not that worried about it. Like he will cut off Boyan, who you, you mentioned his playmaking skills like he will he will score in the paint against this woeful Sixers interior D 
he will make plays as well. Like if you want to tack on a three assists here, yeah. Um, like, yeah, he's another guy who's just, he's out there for nearly the entire game. If he can manage it, he had a week to rest his hamstring issue. And I think, yeah, he'll score his points one way or another. I was just blown, blown away to see like, what's the three point prop. Oh, it's four and a half four at, and a at half. plus money. Like he's getting the Steph props now. Um, uh, but he, I mean, he's shooting and scoring on the interior. So yeah, give, give the man his credit. Yeah, let's see how many three-point attempts he takes, and we can talk about this. We can circle back on this one, too. As, uh, but I am going to take it at 19-and-a-half for, for Dante DiVincenzo at this point. So that's all the time we have for you guys in this one. Continue to follow along. We will be back here on Friday for you with another one of these episodes with play of props and best bets. So until we see you next, happy betting. Stop.